This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 2nd, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Rick Rosetto, and I was with WRHU-FM from 2009 through 2013. And what kind of shows or programs did you work on at WRHU? I had a hand in basically everything. Um, I was in the sports department uh, for all four years. I did news department and morning show for two years. And on the music side, I did the Jazz Cafe, uh, Rock and Roll Oasis, what was Uncharted Territory, then became Off the Charts, Alt Nation, Airwave. I even moonlit for a month doing... um, Irish country after uh, Tony Jackson retired, I was his fill in replacement for about a month until we brought in a new uh, DJ to uh, take over the Irish shows on the Saturdays. Wow. Stepping in for Tony Jackson. That's, that's impressive. Let's start there. How did that happen? So I was very fortunate when I was uh, very young in the station, I uh, got to engineer uh, for Tony Jackson for two years. Um, and I lived very close to uh, Tony and his wife, Maureen, who are, of course, the nicest people in the world. And mm-hmm. the more the more that I got to work with them, the more I kind of got immersed in the Irish country genre of music. I mean, you can't really tell from my last name, but I am a quarter Irish. I do have that mm-hmm. in, my, in my blood. And so what happened was around the time that Tony and Maureen really started considering retiring, the station was looking for somebody to fill in and well, the process for the training class, there was nobody in the time that they had had to kind of overlap perfectly when Tony was set to retire and Tony was doing his own thing. He made his decision when he was going to retire and we all accepted it. We had a huge going away show and all of that. Um, I went to general manager Bruce Avery at the time and I said to him, you know, we had a conversation saying, We need to get somebody in here, but we're not going to have somebody ready yet. We had somebody in the training class. His name was Kevin Wesley. He ended up doing a show called That's How I Spell Ireland. But we had a month to about a month and a half in between where we needed to keep the format alive, but we needed to kind of bridge it between um, Tony and Kevin. And so the logical choice there for, I think, everybody was that I would kind of I guess shepherd and guide the ship for a little bit uh, until Kevin was ready to fully go on the air and do uh, his show. So basically how it worked out was that I would get the set playlist from Tony and I would go to his house on the Saturdays before the show and I would grab uh, his whole list of, you know, songs, basically the songs and the CDs and all of that. And I would essentially from there um, get on the air at what was uh, five o'clock or seven o'clock. I I believe it was seven. I think what happened was, Eileen Cronin's show went from three to seven at the time, and then I would do seven to eight for the last hour. Uh, when Kevin came on, they went back to three to five and five to eight. So I basically kind of ran through uh, the list of the songs that were there. I uh, made a lot of you know good contacts and a lot of good friends you know who would call in and say you know thank you for playing the song from this county in Ireland. I had one fan who was particularly happy anytime I played a song from Roscommon, which I know Tony would have loved. And uh, I had uh, interviews, too. I had interviews with T.R. Dallas. Uh, Martin O'Brien would come in a little bit every now and again. Richie O'Shea, who ran the uh, Manor Gift Shop in Stewart Manor, he was a good friend, too. And the community was so open and, and so welcoming at the time. You know, stepping in for a legend like that, really, I would say of everything that I've done at the station was the highlight, really, for, uh, for me 
being there. And I think it, it really opened my eyes to a new genre and just an appreciation of, of music and of that type of music as well. Wow, that's a great story. And uh, and what a great way to sort of uh, put a cap on, on all your work with uh, with Tony and Maureen. And I, I engineered for them from time to time uh, during my day. And it was just infectious. It was just it was just so much fun to be part of that, uh, even if it was just a little bit. So, wow, that's that's a great, great story. Um, let me get back to the questions. Um, <laughs> what uh, did you have any titles or positions at the station? I did. I was uh, the producer of the Jazz Cafe in my uh, sophomore year. I was on the administrative board. And then in 2012, I ended up taking the position of uh, what was program director of talk and public affairs. And then for the last two months of my calendar year, I, along with my other executive board members, ran the music department kind of in a co-ownership at the time. So I had my talk and public affairs work. And in the last two, I was clearing music and getting more DJs on the air as the training class ended. Okay. Uh, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have a nickname or a, a show name? So it depended on the show. Um, when I was doing um, the Jazz Cafe, I, and I, this is a story, um, very briefly I'll tell it. I had taken a jazz class at Hofstra with uh, Dave LaLama, so, and, and he mm. and I were very, uh, very adamant about jazz. I had done jazz choir in high school, so I knew the genre very, very well. Uh, I, it was hokey at the time, but I, I wanted to make myself stand out, so I went by the DJ name of DJ Jazz Hands. Uh, so, so I look back on that and I, and I laugh about it now because it's hilarious, but I was so serious about it at the time. And then in my senior year, um, when we did, uh, the country music show, we moved it from a Saturday morning show to, uh, five nights a week. I ended up moonlighting and it was 11 PM to 1 AM. So apropos, I took my name from a Garth Brooks song. I was Mr. Midnight on, uh, on Gone Country. So, but every other show I used my own name just because I, I ran out of nicknames at, at a certain point. Right, right. Um, that's all great stuff. Uh, so obviously, you're very involved in the station and in all different aspects. I want to go back to what first brought you to the station. What was your, your interest or, or how did you get there? And if you could describe for those of us who weren't there at the time, what was the station like? What did you see first or maybe some of the people that you met uh, at that first opportunity? So I, I got very fortunate. I was a junior in high school and my mother had um, you know known that I was doing announcements at my high school and she knew that I loved sports and she brought me to this idea of the sports broadcasting camp with another legend of the station, another friend and mentor, Ed Ingalls. Mm -hmm. And so as a junior, I ended up, you know, coming in and doing that summer camp for about a week, um, you know, learning from the sports department at the time, you know, we started off in a classroom and then we would go into uh, the station itself into the, into the heart of the station into the different studios that were there. Um, so I walked past the on-air station and I, and I forget what time of the day it was, but I was just engrossed with the content with, with the show that was going on and with how this was basically it looked from the outside like a college radio station, but it was so much more professional. It was so much more driven and dedicated. And it's really ended up being where I wanted it to be. Um, and so we would do uh, parts of our camp in the North studio, uh, closer to uh, where the news hub is now. Um, so we would do a lot of things over there. 
we would do things in the studio in between, which we called the mixing site, uh, which wasn't an on-air studio, uh, but it was a, it was sparely used as an on-air studio for political events or for different shows of that nature. But it was also like a, a recording studio in a sense. So you had the three studios next to each other. You had the annex, which was in a little room off of North Studio over there next to the News Hub, which was a backup reserve studio if we ever needed it. Um, and so for me, just walking in and seeing all the equipment and kind of immersing myself in all of that at the time as a junior, that was amazing to me. And so when I decided on where I wanted to go to college, that really was the the nail on the head and the driving force that took me to Hofstra. I had thought about other schools at the time. I applied to five, was accepted to five, but the Hofstra experience and the uh, dedication of the staff and just everything about it to me was just absolutely the no no brainer for me to go there and so um i ended up joining the station in my uh first semester freshman year um which when i did the interview uh i knew from john mullen i believe and from bruce avery as well that it was rare that a first semester freshman would get in unless they had an exemplary interview and they were dedicated enough to really be a part of all of that and so um I ended up in the first semester of freshman year doing the training class on Wednesday nights and got on the air and really just, you know, made it, made an impact of it right from the get go. It was, it was amazing to get, get started off right away like that. And it was just something that I treasure because again, there's a lot of people that I, I think maybe had a later start to it. And I was one of the fortunate ones that got a full four years. I want to say of, of immersion in, in the radio station. Hmm. Uh, I want to get back to the to the training and and getting started as a first semester freshman uh, in a second. But first, I want to I want to double back to uh, this camp that this this first experience with Hofstra Radio um, that you had. I think you said in your junior year of high school. Yes, or it was so like it, was, it was summer of junior year going into senior year. Yes. Okay, and this was a camp for for high school students, or or who was eligible, and and how did you come about learning about it? So it was a camp for high school students and, and early college age um, students as well. Um, and I, I mean, there were commercials on it at the time. There was online commercials. There were TV commercials that um, look like local uh, access television commercials. So that's when I really got my first glimpse of Ed Ingalls. And um, at the time in the commercial, Mike Leslie, who's now a major sports reporter in the Dallas area who uh, I consider one of the first people that I really met there and really looked up to, uh, you know, talking about it. And he did a lot with the camp and a few other uh, sports uh, department members did a lot with the camp at the time. And it was just something for me that I, you know, treasured a lot. And actually, funny story about it, too. When I was in that camp, I I knew right away that I was it was myself and one other uh, young, young gentleman who then went to Fordham. Uh, didn't stay at Hofstra, but uh, we were talking a little bit and it was funny because I, I asked him, you know, OK, so how are you interested in this? And he said, well, my dad is a sportscaster. And I said, oh, really? Have I heard him somewhere? And he said, "Um, you might have. Uh, his name is Mike Breen. So Mike Breen's son, <laughs> Mike Breen's son was in the camp with me that first year. Uh, unassuming, excellent guy, really nice guy. Um, and I think actually that year Mike Breen senior came in and talked to the class. So we would have guest speakers come in. Uh, Mike Breen, Kenny Albert, uh, Sam Ryan, Tracy Wolfson, the list goes on and on and on. But that was my my first real experience is that, you know, I Mike Mike Breen's son and I were literally doing five minute, 
mock sportscast together at, at, at the age of, I was 16 at the time going on 17. So for me, that was just incredible. And it was really an experience. Like I said, I'll, I'll treasure forever. Never forget that. Very cool. So, so you've got this experience while you're in high school and you've, you've already tried the gateway drug for many of us as the high school morning announcements. Right. So many of us start there and you've got this experience and then you show up that freshman semester. So what was training like? And, you know, do you remember anybody else who's in the class or something that you really, uh, uh, that was very useful that you carried with you throughout your years? Um, so, I think the first thing that anybody from the Bruce Avery era members of the class is his week one opening speech where he repeated the line about maybe six or seven times that he likes to sleep nights, which, you know, mm-hmm. was, was one of the things that I think we took as a joke at the time. But the more that you got in the station, the more you realize that a lot of things can happen later at night that, you know, you, you should know how to handle. So uh, the training was was really nice. I think it was a really good experience. And it was one of those things where it was funny because a lot of things that were happening around campus, you know, were shaping how uh, the class was being run. And this was 2009. So the year prior was 2008, which was Hofstra's first year hosting the presidential debates. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was a real big factor in how to do coverage and how to do political coverage and, and and how to express opinions and all of that on the air as well. So that I think was a significant factor for me. One of the people that I remember most in the class who actually served as personnel director when I was program director, um, a gentleman by the name of Sam Little. He and I went in the sports department together. Um, we did different sports. Sam did soccer and I did volleyball, but we met up in lacrosse at, afterwards. Um, excellent guy. Really, really proud of, of where he was from. You know, really a strong member of the department and somebody who I consider to be a friend. I mean, you know, at the time, you know, we're joking around like we're rivals and all that sort of stuff. So he was mm-hmm. one. And then there was another uh, sports department member, Kevin Dexter, who is now doing, you know, uh, uh, WFAN updates on Sundays and all of that. Um, and he was a guy that did a lot of our Islanders coverage. And I remember this one story. Um, Kevin and I had met at a communications department meeting for our freshman year, maybe the first week of school, I was talking to the then producer of the morning show at the time, Mario Murillo. And Kevin didn't tell me this until very later on, until we were seniors and we were done. He said to me, you know, I heard you talking to Mario and I heard you saying that you wanted to be on the radio station. You wanted to be the best sportscaster. And that ate at me and that pushed me. And I wanted to be better than you for the longest time. He was better than me. I mean, listen, he's still in, in the game. I'm I moved on to other pursuits in my life, but at the same time, like it's nice to know that I drove somebody to that extent to to be better than me in some capacity, shape, or form. So uh, those things, like I said, those two guys, I think for me are, are, are two really strong memories that I have of, of compatriots in, in the class as well. Do you remember getting on the air for the first time? This is a funny story. Um, so my first shift on the Jazz Cafe was on – Christmas Day. It was a Friday afternoon. And, you know, at the time I thought to myself, okay, well, listen, it's Christmas Day, you know, and even Bruce and John had said, you know, and even the executive board at the time had said, listen, it's Christmas Day. Don't feel like you have to come if you don't need to. My parents kicked me out of the house and they were like, no, you are going to that first shift and you are doing that first shift. So while they were at their big family party, I was in the radio station from 1 to 4 p.m. on Christmas Day on a Friday in December doing jazz. And the two phone calls that I got for requests 
were from my family who were like posing as other people trying to do something <laughs> funny you know trying to like mess with me a little bit um yeah i i wasn't really nervous going into that because i have i have a theater background i did a lot of theater in high school so i wasn't nervous about going on the air for the first time what made me nervous though was that i knew that my shift was 1 to 230 well the 230 person didn't show up so i thought okay, do I just keep playing music until four o'clock and hope that whoever's doing Rock Roll Oasis shows up at four o'clock, which they did. Um, so it was one of those cases where, you know, I was fortunate to know automation just in case I needed to, but I just played music from 2.30 to four after I signed off. And, you know, it was it was a nice experience to kind of calm myself down and, and settle in in a way and realize that that's really where I was going to spend the next four years. I think I spent 95% of my college years at the radio station, to be honest with you. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Most of us, uh, whether that we were there in the 90s or the 60s or whenever, we, we find ourselves spending a lot of time at the station and not necessarily in class, um, which I guess leads me to my, to my next thought. It's like, when did you, it seems like right away, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when did you feel comfortable at the station? And when did you say, was there a moment or was it just sort of, hey, I'm here and this is great and I love it? Uh, there were a couple of different parts to that. I think with, with the music shows, it was a quick instant. Like I'm here. I love it. You know, this is awesome for me. And this is a great experience with sports and news. I really didn't get that feeling until later on when I would either produce a newscast or, or host my own episode of newsline or in sports when I was doing play by play for Hofstra volleyball, because that was kind of the solidifying this is, I made it this far. I worked as hard as I could to get to this point. And that's really what made me comfortable. So I was fighting for, I think, a good year, I think, to kind of prove myself, you know, to be in this rookie who, you know, had a niche sport, who loved volleyball and who wanted to cover volleyball, but then also took a cue from Ed to work in news because he had worked in news and sports when he was in college. So to kind of make my way through that and really, I think for me, like I said, music was the easy entryway, but sports and news, I didn't really feel comfortable until that first play-by-play and first newscast were complete. And then I knew that I could really do it just because I, I, I psyched myself out a little bit just because of the pressure that I put myself under, but it was absolutely worth it for me to, to work in all of those facets and do all of that. So I'm also thinking about getting comfortable being at the station and, and the social aspect to it. You said you spent a, a ton of time there, mm-hmm. um, obviously. Um, but when when did you feel like you were starting to fit in with a group? And did, did any of that prior experience working with Ed Ingalls and doing those summer workshops, did that factor into you getting into feeling socially comfortable at the station? It did. Um, I think... You know, sports department was a you know a really big family in a sense. So, I had initially not joined them for the longest time. I, I think I joined them in March, and I, as I said, I started on air in December, mostly because I wasn't really sure if like I could I could hang or I could be a part of all of that. Um, but it was a matter of you know just joining in with them and kind of making my own way, and then. There were a lot of people that that, you know, saw me and saw the work that I was doing, um, you know, upperclassmen at the time when I was a rookie, when I was a, you know, a first a first year uh, engineer assistant who was cutting highlights for basketball. Um, you know, when I would listen to the the host of the engineer who would say cut that highlight and then running it back through the through the highlight, the, the machine to, to record everything. That was something that, you know, really kind of, you know, once I got all that down and the more I, I spent time with all of, all of those people, the more that it 
really helped me in the process of it. And like I said, news I kind of just fell into because um, when I was a sophomore, I had a, a really good friend named Dennis Foley, who is now in I believe, San Antonio. He was the news director. He'd be the news director for two years. And so he kind of asked for my help. And I really, you know, lent, lent a hand and really leaned on him to show me the way for all of that. So there were a lot of great people that were there helping me out. And I, I think I could make my own inroads, but at the same time, using the help that everybody else was providing me at the station and also going to Ed and going to John and going to Bruce and talking with them about different things. They were so accommodating and so open. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, even, even Joe DeRosa, who at the time was our chief audio engineer, he and I formed a, a very good friendship, you know, cause I was always there. So anything, anytime something would break down, you know, he would fix it. And I would ask him, you know, how did you do that? Let me see how you did that. So he and I kind of grew into a level of trust as well. So there was a great mixture of classmates and upperclassmen and then older groups that were incredibly helpful and incredibly willing to make time for a younger guy like me who just wanted to learn as much as I could and be as uh, biggest part of the station as I could at the time. If we could, I'd like to go back to, um, you said that sort of opening speech that Bruce Avery would give about, um, you know, he likes to sleep at night or, or, or however he phrased it. And, and I remember from other interviews that he would uh, make mention of the parachute and, uh, you know, sort of the emergency cell phone to call. And I don't know if that, that name changed over time. Um, but could you give us a sense of how that felt as a new student hearing about this, hearing this, this uh, sort of um, distribution of responsibility? And then a little bit later on as someone who's actively involved in the station and, and you're one of the people that others rely on. Um, can you give me a sense of, of how your understanding of that changed? over time as as a freshman as a new student in the station it, it was still the parachute and i remember vividly from um one of the review sessions for the training class test uh one of the most you know the most valuable pieces of information was my then program director at the time uh john santucci who taught the parachute by saying you know it's five four three and then he would slam his hand on the table saying zero um, so that, that was really, that stuck in my head. I mean, every other number, you know, Bruce's, John's, the station manager's number, the, the music director number, you know, none of those stuck in my head. Um, but the parachute number is still there and I've been out of the station now almost 10 years and that's still there. The other thing that's still there for me is the EB beeper, um, which, you know, I was at the time when, uh, I got into the station, it was still intact. Uh, when I got to hold it as a member of the executive board, there was a big piece of tape around it. And, you know, you were wondering why we were carrying this beeper around because it was 2012, but mm -hmm. you understood that there was the responsibility of everything you understood. And it was tougher for me because I was a commuter student. So I would go home, you know, I would be, I was still 20 minutes away, but Sam was on campus. My station manager, Christine Newman was also on campus. So if anything happened, they would be the ones to, you know, call but if i had the beeper or if i you know someone needed me through my phone i was off campus so i would have to you know get up and drive 20 minutes or whatnot i did that for some saturday shows and i did that for community volunteers as well but fortunately i mean i i think fortunately for me that never really happened when it was two o'clock in the morning during uh, aggressive edge or airwave lab if i'm if i'm dating myself on any of these show names that are things that i remember um but it was it was a level of responsibility that really shaped the way that I viewed 
myself and viewed the position as a whole. When I passed it off to uh, our next program director, uh, I think that I left the station in a very good spot. And I, I was able to kind of coast and enjoy senior year with, and the last semester without really any kind of hesitation on that end, where it was a matter of I just put the best people in the best positions based upon, you know, working with them and, and leading them in the way that I knew that I could, especially in 2012, we went off the wall with political coverage. Um, you know, there were debates, uh, election night, all of this, and even Super Tuesday, we were running through like crazy. So, um, but from that very first class, I understood the power and the responsibility of how one little mistake could just ruin it for everybody. And I did not want to be the person that made that mistake. And so I, I worked as hard as I could to instill that in everybody else that came after me as well. Obviously, WRHU came to mean a great deal to you and you spent a ton of time there and the memories are still there and you have the benefit of hindsight looking back from 10 years or so. Um, but can you put yourself back in your shoes at, at 18 or so heading into those freshman lessons starting your first semester at Hofstra? Uh, and if you could, at that age, at that moment, what did you think Hofstra Radio would mean to you at that time? I, I honestly didn't think it would mean as much as it's meant. I will I will be honest with you because I, I thought it was a nice social uh, gathering. I thought it was a nice thing, a nice little club. And yes, I could do you know music radio or sports radio or news radio. I thought to myself, well, I'll spend some time there, but you know I will socialize on other parts of campus. I will go down to the Rathskeller and play pool or ping pong for most of my my academic time, or I will you know spend some time in a library here or there. I, I came to realize very early on that that's all I wanted to be as the radio station. I was committed and dedicated to being there uh, from the get-go. But as a, as a freshman walking in, I didn't expect it to be as significant of a, of a part of my life as it, as it became. And even out of it, I mean, even in what I'm doing now and even in my roles here and there, I take a lot of the lessons that I learned from RHU and from my time there with me. You know, even though, you know, the, the FCC regulations don't really apply to a marketing job at the same time, morals and ethics and journalism do. And so that was a big factor for me. And even, you know, playing the correct song and even as I'm working, you know, colleges doing DJ work and, you know, sporting events, fading the song out properly instead of cutting it and stopping it, you know, cold. It was a radio thing that I learned that I pass along to, you know, rookies or, or people who are, you know, student workers. I say, you know, fade this out. You know, it sounds better that way. And, and it helps them out. So even the little things, you know, I, I take with me a lot. And so, again, I didn't really think about it in the grand scheme of, you know, you know, 10 years later, how would it really impact my life? But I think for me, the real part where it hit was my, my now wife and I went to, uh, a, I believe it was the 55th uh, um, celebration of, I believe, or it might have been something a little bit uh, later than that, because I know 50 was kind of around my, my era, my, my run, I believe. And she saw the way that, you know, I interacted with the people that were there, the, the alums, the, the current students, and, you know, the stories they would tell about, you know, how we would do sports work and we would, you know, stay till two o'clock in the morning or we would do news and we would do all this. And she saw the dedication and really that 
she said something to me. She said, you know, it's amazing that all this dedication, I understand now why you love what you do. And that really hit me because I, I didn't think about it like that. I, I thought about it as a thing to do that I would enjoy, that I would, you know, say that was a fun time in my life. But the memories and the lessons are still incredibly vivid and incredibly important to me no matter what I do. So I think the only thing I would have said to myself as an 18-year-old freshman is, is, you know, just enjoy more of it or, you know, or, you know, just be a be more cognizant of, of the people that you're following and the people that are following you because – everyone's got footsteps to follow in, you know, you just want to leave it in the best pathway for anybody coming after you. And I think that's, that's what I did. And, you know, generations after that, hopefully they're doing the same thing. Rick, this was a a great deal of fun and I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your stories and uh, let's talk again sometime and, and talk about some more stories. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, Brian. I'm happy to do that. And I thank you for, for putting this all together. This is uh, this is wonderful. And I really enjoy kind of talking all about all of this. So I'm happy to do this with you anytime.